0: Thank you. Please be seated. Let me invite you now to uh, open your Bible or look in the bulletin, either one. The passage is printed for you. As we continue a series of messages uh, from the book of Romans and uh, what we're covering today is regarded as the thesis or theme of the book of Romans. If you've ever written a thesis, you know that it is an attempt to encapsulate what the rest of everything else you're going to say is all about in a very succinct and yet comprehensive way. And so this thesis, of course, written by the Apostle Paul, the human author, but also inspired by the Holy Spirit, the divine author, certainly fulfills the role of what sets the standard for what a thesis ought to be. And so, this is an important moment in our series on the book of Romans. Uh, Even more than that, um, my goal and hope in preaching this message is to help you get the gospel. Do you really get it? I mean, does the gospel energize you, vitalize you, give you life? Is it something you think about every day? Is it something you preach to yourself consistently? Um, the gospel is the power of God. Just think about that for a moment. The gospel is the power of God. Hear now the word of the Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let us pray. Father, we do pray for the superintending work of the Holy Spirit in our service, that he would empower both the one who speaks and those who listen. Help us lay aside anything that would hinder us from uh, hearing and receiving and responding uh, in a positive way to the truth as we hear it today. Uh, Help us to not use our phones to surf on the internet while the preaching's going on, or having our minds go all kinds of other places other than where we are and what we're doing. And it's a challenge but not too hard for you, Lord. Nothing is too hard for you. And so we pray that the gospel would ring out and resonate and reverberate through our souls today, and we pray in the name of Christ, amen. All scholars and students of the book of Romans are pretty much in agreement here that verses 16 through 17 are Paul's way of putting the gospel sort of in a nutshell. And uh, his message is a kind of thesis statement. Therefore, it is extremely important uh, and a very uh, extremely important statement. And I want us to meditate uh, on it this morning in order to experience a breakthrough. And you know what a breakthrough is? A breakthrough is breaking through whatever's hindering you or holding you back from going on in your relationship with the Lord. And of course, the classic breakthrough moment occurred in the life of a monk, an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther, the founder, as it were, of Protestantism. And actually, in later in his life, he told a story uh, in the preface to one of his collected writings. He wrote a little reminiscence of a great experience that he had with the gospel called the tower experience. I could tell you how other people interpret his tower experience and if you know anything of the history of this event in his life some thought it was not the rediscovery of the gospel but a relief from a problem that he had. But uh, it is a relief from the biggest problem he had which was Uh, inability to love the Lord and respond to him. Many people would call it his conversion experience, and it has to do with his understanding of Romans 1, verses 16 through 17. He wrote the following, I greatly long to understand uh, Paul's epistles to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God because I took it to mean uh, the righteousness whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust or unrighteous. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the righteousness of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasp that through the gift and sheer mercy of God's righteousness, God justifies us through faith Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. When I saw the law meant one thing and the gospel another, I broke through. Now my question to you this morning is, have you broken through? A lot of people criticize Luther and a lot of people think, We shouldn't take his life as hagiography, that is a life of holiness, and that we should all imitate Luther. But Luther's common denominator with us is he had this breakthrough where God became for him no longer someone he was angry at and hated, but became for him a sheer delight. Have you had this breakthrough? Has it happened to you? Does it continue to happen to you over and over as you uh, not only live out of your justification but continue in your sanctification? He had his breakthrough and what he means is he was completely transformed. He experienced what Thomas Kuhn in his book, The Structure of Scientific uh, Revolution, uh, called a paradigm shift. I asked my wife one time, I said, what is a paradigm? just playing with her. She said, about 20 cents. Think about it. I said, you're too smart. You're just too smart. A paradigm is a mental grid, it's a worldview, it's a pair of lenses through which we understand and look at life, and paradigm shifts occur usually in a pretty significant moment, and then drip by drip and drab by drab, your whole vision of reality and metaphysics and all the philosophical stuff changes as you experience this shift, and Luther had it. He became a different person because of this moment in his life, truly what we would call a breakthrough. And uh, that is to say, if you haven't, if these two verses have never done to you what they did to Luther, I'm going to try to show you three factors that will help you grasp it and help you experience a similar breakthrough. The ideas of these verses uh, should transform you. It should give you, by telling you three things, of course I'm always a three-point preacher most of the time, three things that will help you open up and experience the breakthrough for yourself. There are three factors to the breakthrough and the first is the meaning or essence of the gospel or the form of the gospel. Secondly, the content of the gospel. And finally, the power of the gospel. And so three simple points, three very profound things. Let's get on our horse and go. You can see especially if you read all the way from Romans 1 verses 1 to 17, the word gospel is used more times in that concentrated passage than in any other place of the Bible. And the word gospel, as most of you know, is a Greek word, which we transliterate to be euangelion. Eu means good, and angelion means angel, literally. Good angel. But what do angels do? Angels usually bring messages. So the gospel is a good message, but it's message in the form of news. It's not advice, it's not steps to practical living. It's not information you need to help you be necessarily a, a more uh, in-the-know person. But the gospel is good news. That is, the news of the gospel is something objective to you, not something subjective in you. It's something really that has nothing to do with what you accomplish, achieve, or do in your own strength and self. And so we start by understanding the word gospel is good news that is something that is heralded. Now if you think back in this time, the word gospel um, is very interesting in that Uh, you could substitute the word in our day, media. The gospel is media. It's news. But it's not like our media today. How did news about great history uh, and events that occurred in history get distributed back during, uh, let's say, Martin Luther's time and other times, previous to, let's say, the first century? Well, there was no media. There was no newspaper. There was no audio, video, radio, television, internet, iPhones, websites. So how did people get the news? How did they know? And the answer is, it was heralds who would uh, come back from an event that had occurred, perhaps a battle, perhaps a great victory was won, and they would parade back to town and explain to the people, I have some wonderfully good news for you. We won. We now have a victory and the people would celebrate the good news. And so at heart, that is the essence of the word gospel. What happens when a general achieves a great military victory? Well, the heralds were sent out, as I said, victory was proclaimed. And if that's at the very heart of the word gospel, then what the message uh, or the essence of the Christian message is news. Joyful, good news. Now, I know you think I'm belaboring this point, but I have a reason for doing so. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is not keep the golden rule. The gospel is not try to be a better person. The gospel is not put these 12 principles in your life and apply them to your being. The gospel is not. Any kind, that's the difference between Jesus and every other religious leader that has ever lived. Jesus is not here to tell you this is what you need to do in order to have a relationship for God. No, Jesus did it for you. And that distinguishes him from every other religious leader. He doesn't tell you if you live like this, then you will be blessed. He came and did for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so the gospel is not a message telling us we need to keep the Ten Commandments. It's not anything directed to our will in order to get us to be better people or more enlightened people or more spiritual people or more religious people. That is not what the gospel is. It is something that occurs outside of us. And this is the difference between the gospel and every other philosophy or religion in the world. It is not good advice about what you must do. It is primarily good news about what has already been done for you, what has already occurred. So other religions say if you really want to meet God, you have to do this, this, and this. There are steps, there are rites, there are rituals, there are all kinds of Um, things that you must do daily to demonstrate your devotion, but that is not what the gospel is. Uh, And so test number one for whether or not you've had a good gospel breakthrough is crucial. One of the breakthroughs is to realize how utterly different Christianity is because it's good news and not good advice. It is good news of grace, not of works. If I were to ask anybody in Las Vegas, what do you think the essence of Christianity is or what do you think it means to be a good Christian, what would they say? Uh, Well, most people would say, I think it means to try to live like Jesus, to try real hard to love your neighbor, to try to live by the golden rule Here in Las Vegas, that means whoever has the gold rules, right? Um, No. Uh, Keep the Ten Commandments. Try to be a nice and decent person and a good citizen, and that's the heart of Christianity. No, it is not. It is not that. And so, is that news? No. Is that news about what's been done for you, outside of you? That which will give you so much joy, so much peace, so much life. You don't get it from keeping the golden rule. Nobody's ever gotten it from keeping the golden rule. The most miserable people in the New Testament were the Pharisees, and they lived better lives than any of us, morally speaking. The gospel is not morality. It's not being a a, a nicer, healthier, better person. It's not being green. It's not... (laughs) uh, any of those things. It is something that has been done for you, outside of you, and once you see that, you're, you're about to make the breakthrough. Um, and so here's the first question, the first test of whether or not you really get the, uh, the gospel. Whatever you believe about God or how you ought to live, that's mainly about you or is it mainly about what he has done? Is it mainly about you or what you must do or mainly about him and what he has done? So the first breakthrough of the gospel is, it's not advice, it's news. It's news, it's the media from heaven. Secondly, let's talk about the content of the gospel because this is the second way we break through. The content of the gospel is the very spot that Luther meditated and meditated where he says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that comes through faith, just as it is written, the one who is righteous through faith, that person lives. That person has eternal life. That's what that means. And so the content of the gospel is one day he suddenly realized that the righteousness of God is a righteousness that comes to me and I receive it by faith and that opened up everything for him. I think it was uh, John Gerstner who I heard say one time, it's not so much your sins that will damn you as it is your good works your righteousness. What stands between you and Jesus is your attempted efforts to be righteous in yourself. Your attempted efforts to be religious in yourself. Your attempted efforts to be moral in yourself alone. That stands between you and Jesus as much as the most filthy, abominable, heinous thing you and I have ever done. It does. What's holding some of you back from Jesus, what's holding you back from your breakthrough, is you do not understand that the very message of the gospel that Paul gives here says something like this. The righteousness of God not has been revealed, but is present tense being revealed over and over every time the gospel goes out. God is revealing something to you about righteousness. And it's not what you think it is, probably. It's not what you think it is. Because for most of us, if we think of righteousness, we think of doing the right thing, of living righteously. But what caused Luther's profound breakthrough was this. He finally understood that the righteousness God demands of him is the righteousness God freely gives him in Jesus Christ. And by the way, Righteousness has to do with a sense of approval, a sense of acceptance, a sense of identity, and a sense of security. Every single person in the universe is absolutely desperate for righteousness. We all want it. Now, What we end up doing, rather than seeking that from the Lord and receiving it freely from him as a gift, we go live our lives in a way and throw ourselves passionately toward a substitute God and try to find that sense of security, that sense of identity, that sense of hope, that sense of peace, that sense of meaning, that sense of acceptance and approval through accomplishing for ourselves whatever goals we have in life. And we miss... The righteousness we were built for. We miss the righteousness we really crave, and that righteousness is to be right with God. How can I be right with God? If you'll look in your bulletin uh, on the first page, there's a quote. Sounds a little bit like this. You can get a pretty good handle on righteousness by thinking of the English word. What does it mean to be right with your company or your government or with another person? It's a positional word. It means to have a good or right standing, to have no debts or liabilities um, uh, toward the other party. It means you are acceptable to the other party because your record has nothing on it to jeopardize your relationship. The other party has nothing against you And that comes, of course, from a quote from Tim Keller. And the interesting thing regarding that is the first breakthrough is understanding that it's not a change in us that makes us acceptable to God, but rather a change in our status a change in our status. It's not something that first subjectively happens to us, but rather it is something that is a change in our status. We have a changed relationship with God upon the basis of what his son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. So it's hard for us to accept uh, anything that says, uh, how would you justify a statement you make? How do you justify it? Well, you, you, you talk about what are the presuppositions that go into it and what is it that makes it happen. But Paul says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 5, he says this, "...since we are justified by faith, we have peace, uh, we have access to the grace in which we stand." The word stand here means to stand in the presence of a great God or a great king or a great judge. And that is what we have in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have security. We have acceptance. We have meaning. We have glory. We were made for this righteousness. And to me, the second factor that brings you a breakthrough in the gospel is when you realize that the gospel is not just about forgiveness. Now, let me talk about forgiveness. Wonderful thing, a wonderful truth in Scripture is that we are forgiven completely and fully and absolutely by. Christ's death on the cross, that he propitiated the Father for our sins. He satisfied what justice demands. He took our sins and its penalty down into death, and we are forgiven and we are clean before the Lord. Though our sins were as scarlet, they're now white as snow. Though they were red like crimson, they are now as wool. Forgiveness means that God turns his back on my sin, that he casts them into the depths of the ocean, that he removes them as far as the east is from the west, that we have a clean slate, that upon our record there are no offenses because Christ died for whatever sin you do today if you're a believer. He took the punishment for it. He took the justice for it. He took upon himself what was due us. And he gives us what was due him, which is righteousness. As Dave mentioned earlier, the active obedience of Christ in obeying the covenant of works on our behalf. We often say you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. But let me help you also understand that we're saved by Christ's works, by what he did. Why was Jesus baptized? Why was Jesus tempted in the desert? Why was Jesus mocked and ridiculed and opposed and persecuted and hated and misunderstood? Why did he go through all of that? He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us as a substitute. And so, yes, we've been forgiven, and that is a glorious problem. And I would never, ever, ever say that it's not important and it's not significant, but understanding that the gospel is forgiveness is about half the story. If you understand forgiveness, then you're kind of half saved by grace because you don't understand the full dimension of the good news, which is this, not only did Christ die for me, but he lived for me. God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin... To be sin for us so that in him we could be the righteousness of God. We could have it as a gift. When Christ was made sin on the cross, he didn't become sinful inside. He didn't become a lust bucket. He didn't become angry and hateful and mean. Rather, the sin was laid upon him. Outside of him objectively on him and he experienced the grief and the guilt and the uh, Shame of our sin upon himself, but he didn't become a sinner When God declares us to be right with him we don't become automatically at that moment Pure and righteous inside we don't we're a sinner but just like you get up in the morning If you're a normal person and live in a normal area wearing 115 every day, you put on a robe, right? (laughs) You wear a robe. And so the wonderful good news of the gospel is God gives us Christ's righteousness to cover us. It is objective to us. Now, next Sunday, lest you think you're a heretic, Tim Posey, or a hairy tick, as we used to call people, but... (laughs) I found those on my dog when I had one, but yes, God at at the very same time, that's why he says that uh, the righteousness of the gospel is from faith to faith because we keep living by faith, we keep living out of that righteousness, but everybody God justifies, he begins to make righteous inside by sanctification. And that happens, but don't get the cart before the horse because that just makes you uh, self-righteous if you get the cart before the horse. And so the wonderful glory of the gospel is it is about righteousness. It is about something we all desire. It's about something we all need, about something we all want. But the amazing thing regarding the gospel is this. It is as if... Christ has received our record. You take take our, our record book of life and every sin and every blemish and every act of rebellion and every thought and every word and every deed and every breath almost that we take is recorded. And so he takes our record and dies for it on the cross, but he gives us his record and his resume and it becomes ours as much as if we've ever lived it. And that is no legal fiction. That is the truth. And you'll never have a breakthrough if you do not understand what Paul says that in the gospel is being revealed every moment a righteousness that is from God. Now scholars, depending on their presupposition, have three views of what that righteousness is. Some think it has to do with an attribute of God. Some thinks it has to do with action of God in terms of uh, acting in a righteous way. Or the third one is the one I'm preaching because it's the right one. Because it's the gospel. I mean, you can be interesting and believe all three, but you'd be wrong. I would die for what I believe this righteousness is. And I think that one of the reasons the Reformation occurred, I know one of the reasons the uh, Reformation occurred was this concept of righteousness was rediscovered. And when Luther saw it in that tower experience, he wasn't the same guy anymore. He was a guy who used to constantly run to his father confessor and constantly confess his sin over and over and over and never get relief. And he would go from his cell to the father confessor and on his way back to the cell, down through the hallway, he would remember other sin and he would go back to the father confessor and continue to confess his sins. He was obsessed. But when he finally saw it, when he finally broke through, there was such liberation. Freedom, you don't know freedom till you know that freedom. You don't even know what the word means until you know that freedom of the gospel. And so this is Paul's heart. Paul talked about a, go- uh, a righteousness he had prior to Christ as a righteousness that was made up of his obedience to the law and his obedience to God. And then he received another righteousness that was not his own, not according to the law, but the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of Christ fell upon him. And so now we have the spotless, glorious robe of Christ. And now we know that God delights in us. We have become the righteousness of God in him. And do we know where that breakthrough uh, comes? The first breakthrough is when you see the gospel is not advice but news. The second breakthrough is when you see it's not just forgiveness, but it is being clothed in righteousness. It is righteousness from God given to me as pure gift. And I receive it by faith, which means I no longer rely or trust in myself to fix myself or save myself. Or accomplish my own redemption, or uh, it's it's, uh, rejecting unbelief and self-reliance and, uh, you know, toughing it out on my own. But rather, faith is the empty hand, the organ of receiving, as it were. Faith is receiving a pure gift, and it is naked faith. It doesn't have anything in addition to it. And that alone is to break through. But the third breakthrough, and there is a third one, (laughs) is that the gospel is the power of God. Now, I'm going to take a little ironic turn here for for most of you, some of you maybe, to say that how does the gospel is the power of God work in our lives? I mean, does it just zap us? Uh, Once you understand how broken and sinful and powerless and helpless and hopeless we really are apart from Christ, you do understand that power is exerted. But we talk a lot about a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones around here. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher who started out life as a medical doctor, never went to seminary, or as some of my friends used to call it, cemetery, never went to seminary, uh, I thought seminaries is extremely helpful, but some people don't. But he, he was a great preacher, and he said this. He said, unless you have been offended by the gospel, I don't think you've ever really heard the gospel. Because the gospel, part of its power is that it offends us. It offends us. And you say, oh, pastor, in what way? Well, that's what I'm up here for to answer that question. How does the gospel offend us? You see, the gospel by telling us that our salvation is free, not earned, is really insulting. It tells us that we are such spiritual failures, the only way to salvation is for it to be a complete gift. This offends moral and religious people who think their decency gives them an edge or advantage over less moral people. And so, the person who doesn't understand the gospel doesn't understand how absolutely powerless, and hopeless, and impotent, and helpless. We really are. And the gospel underlines that because the only way God could... Remember when Jesus was in Gethsemane and he's praying about the cup and he prays, Father, please, if there's any other way possible, if there's any other way to accomplish this, please remove this cup from me because he understood what the cup meant would be the Father would turn his face away from the Son and turn his back on the Son as the Son becomes cursed as a sin offering. He was going through the curse Curses of breaking covenant, which we all do. And the Father would turn his back on him. And Jesus says, but the wisdom of God is wrapped up in the gospel. This is the only way a holy God can have a relationship for eternity with sinners. The work of Christ changes our status into being righteous by giving us his own righteousness. But that righteousness is offensive. We like to hold on to it. We like to think well of ourselves. We like to think that we're pretty good people. You know, we may make a mistake. We may have a faux pas here and there. But in reality, we're doing the best we can. And 90% of what we do is wonderful. The other 10%, well, God will weigh that in the scales. And surely what I've done in life, you know, I never killed anybody. I love people. I'm nice. I'm law abiding. You know occasionally I lose my temper but who doesn't? Nobody's perfect right? And so therefore at the end of the uh, life and I stand before the judgment bar of God. God is you know he likes me. He's nice. He's kind. He'll do the right thing and gain me entrance into heaven. No! Never! Ever! No! No. That's why the gospel leads us to a breakthrough, because the gospel is insulting. Let's look at it another way it's insulting, because it's insulting in every direction. The gospel, by telling us that Jesus died for us, is also really insulting. (laughs) It tells us that we are so wicked that only the death of the Son of God could save us. This offends the postmodern cult of self-expression and the popular belief in the innate goodness of humanity. Well, most people say that at the heart of hearts, I believe that people are basically good. What planet do you live on? I mean, do you ever go outside your door? You ever look at yourself in the mirror? You know, do you ever interact with anybody else? No. People are not basically good. Jesus said out of the heart comes all kinds of filthy stuff. We're fallen. We're broken. We're under the power of sin. We're under the bondage in bondage to the powers of darkness, Satan himself. We are uh, depraved, meaning not as bad as we could possibly be, but as bad off as we could possibly be. And we're cut off and separated from God. And so only the death of Jesus Christ can deal with and pay for and redeem us and rescue us from sin. God doesn't need our help. He's already done everything necessary to save people like us. The gospel tells us that by trying to be good and spiritual is never enough. It insists then that not any good person... But only those who come to God through Jesus will be saved. And this offends the modern notion that any nice person anywhere can find God in his or her own way. And we don't like losing our autonomy. We hate it. There is an exclusiveness to the gospel that is offensive to people. Especially in our culture today. But there's no other person who's ever done for you what Jesus has done there's no other son of God who's ever come into the world to accomplish what he's accomplished but we like to think you know that (laughs) I've told you this before I don't know if I want to do it again I I was sharing the gospel with a woman years ago and uh, I, I pressed Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except by me and she said well don't you think it's like this? She said, heaven is like the post office downtown. And she said, there are many ways from my home that I can get to the post office. And she started listing them off. Apparently, she'd done this before. <laughs> and I listened patiently. She went through the whole thing. And finally, I just stopped and looked at her. I said, are you finished? She said, yes. I said, lady, when you die, you don't go to the post office. <laughs> when you die, you stand before this God that you hate right now. You hate him. And you need to repent and turn away from that. It's offensive. It's offensive. I get it. It was offensive to me. I wanted, I I was so happy to get out of my house and get away from my hometown and get away from my church, get away from my mom and dad. I wanted, I was a prodigal of prodigals. I wanted to live. I wanted to swing. I wanted to party. And I didn't want any of that curtailed, except God had other plans. He saved me in college. That's where he saved me. And I thought, man, I didn't get much time to swing. (laughs) Which is probably a good thing. And so the gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus' suffering and serving, not his conquering and destroying. And following him means to suffer and serve with him. This offends people who want salvation to be an easy life. This offends people who want their life successful on their terms. See, some of you right now are really angry at God for the way your life has turned out. Or it may not be be your life and the way it's turned out, but it may be a friend or a family member and the way their life has turned out. And you're really, really bitter inside about it. And sometimes it bleeds over into your relationship with God where you don't want to talk to Him. You don't want to hear from Him. You don't want to read the Bible. You don't want to pray. What's the use of praying? Nothing will happen. I want. And you finally discovered that the biggest problem you got is you. You're at the center. God is wiser than us, God knows what He's doing and what He's about. And so Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God. I have a quote here that I read. I've never read it before, but I wanted to read it for you. It's a guy named Theodore. And he likened the gospel to a pepper. He says, a pepper outwardly seems cold to the senses, but the person who crunches it beneath his teeth experiences the sensation of burning fire. The gospel's like that. It's like that. When it comes alive in you and alive to you, you'll never be the same from the top of the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. Paul doesn't say the gospel is about power. He doesn't say the gospel brings power. He doesn't say the gospel is a story about power. He says the gospel is power. It's power. And it will turn you inside out and right side up. And it is the power of God unto salvation. Um, the gospel can appear, the first time you hear it, as an interesting theory, or it can appear as a philosophical take on life. But when it, you have the breakthrough. You have the first breakthrough where you understand the gospel's not about advice on how you're to live. The second breakthrough, you understand the gospel is more than just forgiveness of sins, but a giving of a status of righteousness do you understand how much God loves his righteousness do you understand how much God loves us and finally you understand that the gospel is power and it overcomes it overcomes our resistance and our rebellion toward it now if this has happened to you you are a person and I, I, I'm going to preach another sermon next Sunday On how the gospel not only has to do with our status but how the gospel continues to work in our experience in terms of growing in holiness. How the gospel changes us through regeneration and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into different people than we ever were before. I can remember thinking, you know, years ago that I wonder to myself, what would I be doing now, and who would my friends be, and who would I love if I didn't believe the gospel? I guarantee I wouldn't be in Las Vegas in church on Sunday morning if I didn't love the gospel, but I love it. I love it because it's done in me and for me more than I can ever say. And so the power of God brings salvation to everyone who believes. Faith is the channel or the connection to the power of the gospel. It's like a light switch. Is the channel a connection between light and electrical sources Paul immediately tells us that the gospel is power both boundless and boundaried at the same time he says it's for everyone the gospel is offered everyone it came to the Jews first through Jesus but it is for the Gentile first and everyone else it is for the wise as well as the foolish and it is good news for everyone who believes and so The righteousness of God would mean the character of God as righteous, as perfectly holy and good, without any fault and blame. But Paul here doesn't speak of the righteousness of God, but the righteousness from God. And no one would ever know of it or find it or guess unless God showed it to us through his word. But he has done that. We can have right standing with him. And we have been forgiven, but we've also been given the cosmic medal of honor. by having Jesus' righteousness. Have you broken through? Has that happened to you? Has gospel breakthrough occurred? I'm not asking you if you know the language. Some of you know the language of the gospel, but you ain't heard the music yet. You have not heard the music yet. I preached for a good 25 years, and I I didn't hear the music. That is so humiliating (laughs) to me. It was so embarrassing when, I mean, I was gloriously, like when the breakthrough happened for me, I was gloriously lifted up and encouraged. But then I looked back over my past ministry and said, Lord, why in the world did you let me preach without telling the whole story so long? Still don't have an answer to that question. Yet people were converted under the ministry. I don't understand all I know about that, but I will tell you this. Have you had the breakthrough? Have you had it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the good news. I pray it will become good news for every person in this building. I pray that we will begin to see that good news more and more with greater depth experiencing the transformation that occurs when that happens to us. Now, Father those of us who have experienced the breakthrough have learned that believing the gospel makes us more generous. It makes us want to give. Not only money, but time and talent and treasure. All of a sudden, those things become very important to us. The poor become important to us. The broken become important to us. The struggling become important to So, Lord, may we give his people who are filled with joy because of the good news, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.